For those of you who don't know me, I am Seski, like Pete said, and I am one of the pastors, one of the elders here. Um, and uh, welcome. Welcome all of you. Welcome all of you out there in virtual land. Um, endure with me this, this morning. Um, I'm just going to keep it simple, okay? I'm going to keep it simple and gospel-centric. That's what I decided to do. I, I was going so many ways, especially the part about uh, do not argue and complain. I, I had a whole sermon worked up on that, and I'm like, nah, nah, let me not do that. Let me not do that. But this morning, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, like, like uh, our brother Pete said. By way of introduction, we've been working our way through the book of Philippians and learning what it means to be partners in the gospel together. So far, we have seen the importance of verbally sharing the gospel with others, and we have seen the importance of unity in the body of Christ for effective gospel witness, and I think our brother Pete preached on that one as well. Now, Paul takes it a step further and shares with us the importance of personal obedience for our gospel witness. Your life and the way you live, the way you live it, have a huge impact on the witness to the gospel of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for having us here this morning, Lord. As I was discussing with our sister, Lord, how good and pleasant and sweet it is to be in the house of the Lord together, Lord, worshiping you, Father, meeting with you, Father, uh, allowing you to speak to our hearts, Father, and surrendering in obedience to your will in our lives, Lord. No matter how hard or difficult it gets, Lord, we thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit, which guides us and leads us and directs us in all things, Lord. So, Father, this morning, would you speak through me? And, Father, those within hearing, Lord God, would you speak to their hearts? Would you humble them this morning? Humble us all this morning for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as I've, um, I was thinking in the last couple of weeks on this sermon, and I remember last, no, not last week, week before, how Pete shared a little bit about his uh, military army background and where he was at. And this is a thought that often comes to my mind when I'm in that contemplative state, when I'm trying to just relax my soul. I remember um, it really has to do with the theme of light shining in the darkness, okay? Um, I would sit. This is me in the Navy, picture the scene, me in the Navy, 1991, Desert Storm, out in the Persian Gulf, okay, flight operations, this is what's happening. And there's memories of me just after flight operations just going off by myself. I would either go forward or I would go aft and lay on the catwalk. Um, for those of you who've never seen an aircraft carrier, a catwalk is basically a sidewalk, but it ha it's a grate, okay? and it's porous, <laughs> okay. So I would lay on the catwalk and just flight ops is over, it's peaceful, it's quiet, and you are in the middle of darkness, utter darkness. The only lights on are the lights which can, can sometimes be seen on the aircraft carrier. And here I would lay and I would look up. And I would look up to what has to be the most beautiful canvas you will ever see. Nothing but billions and billions of stars just 
piercing through the darkness. And I'm just there relaxed, praying, whatever I'm doing. But I am in awe, in awe of God as I'm looking at the scar. And, and it's almost like you can reach up and grab a star. That's how close it seems. That's how immense and intense this canvas that God created. And it reminded me of how, what an awesome, awesome God we serve. What a God that can take the sky and make it become alive with light. And I often think on those days when I need to calm myself, remind me of, of God and how he meets us wherever we're at. Um, I'm just thinking how, how dark, how dark it was out there, how dark the sky was, and yet the light of the stars just abolished that darkness. So, just like those stars in the Med, in the Persian Gulf, or the northern sky, God calls us to let the beauty of Christ's light shine through us. Excuse me, it starts. We are to shine like stars in the dark, in the dark world where we share the gospel with those around us. And this shining like stars has everything to do. When we shine like stars, it means we are obedient to God. Personal obedience is important, not just because we belong to Christ. Personal obedience is an essential part of our gospel witness. Today's passage gives us three important instructions regarding personal obedience and our witness to Christ. First, work out your salvation. Secondly, back up your witness with your life. And thirdly, rejoice in the sacrifice. Let's take a look at each of these in turn. One, we press in in our sanctification. We work out our salvation. First of all, work out your salvation. Verse 12 through 13 have to do with working out your salvation and personal obedience to God. Look at the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but, much, but now much more in my absence. Paul begins by addressing the Philippians as dear friends, and I think John has uh, shared that with you guys before. My, lo my loved ones, this recalls the opening of the letter where Paul expressed this deep affection for his friends in Philippi. Paul commends them for their obedience in the past, and now he encourages them to continue in that obedience. Their obedience in the past was partly because Paul was right there with them, okay? But now he's gone, and the past was my, uh, da, 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 da. But now he's gone, and he may not be coming back. So remember, Paul was, in, 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 uh, was facing possible execution. He was in prison. If the Philippians' obedience is dependent on Paul's being there, then we know they're in trouble. So this is what Paul's trying to do. So in the same way with us, your obedience must be tied to Jesus alone and not dependent on other people. Paul is trying to remind the Philippians your dependence, your obedience, your behavior as Christians is not dependent upon me, Paul's reminding them. 
It's dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues with this instruction in verse 12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This verse is very often quoted, and it's a great verse, of course, but what does it mean? What does working out your salvation with fear and trembling mean? It's often understood to mean we should examine ourselves and make sure that we are genuinely saved. The idea of working something out can mean this. We work out a math problem. We work out a puzzle. This interpretation conveys the idea that you should evaluate your own salvation in a mental exercise. Looking at scripture and asking the vital question, am I saved? There's nothing wrong with that, asking yourself, am I saved? The command here to work out your salvation goes back to verses 10 and 11. In those verses, we saw that every person will one day bow the knee to Jesus and confess that he is Lord. This will either happen voluntarily, or if people refuse to bow themselves, then one day, they're not going to have a choice. They're going to be forced. They're going to bow the knee one day. If a person is not saved, and I say this with utmost love, <laughs> okay, if a person is not saved, judgment in hell is what follows if they do not acknowledge Christ as Savior. And it is why Paul says to work out your salvation. In other words, make sure you're saved. However, I realized while studying this passage, again, that my previous understanding might have been a little off, might have been wrong. Isn't it amazing that no matter how much we study Scripture, and I know all of you, many of you have told me this, and no matter how much you study Scripture, God is always teaching you. You think you know something, and God just lights another candle on it, okay? Um, and our understanding of the Word and Him just keeps on growing. So yes, we should perform self-evaluation. That's healthy. That is not really what Paul is saying in this passage. Stay with me, would you? The original Greek word comes from the word, I had to learn how to pronounce this word, katergazomai. Katergazomai. Yeah, that's how you say it. This is actually a command with a continuing emphasis. It means to keep on working, working it out to completion. Go all the way to the end. Follow through to completion, to ultimate fulfillment, or to continually work to bring something to fruition. Work and show me what that artwork looks like. Bring it to fruition. This refers to the process of sanctification. God is working, well, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but sanctification is a process, okay? This is actually a command with a continuing emphasis. It means to keep on working out to completion, to ultimate fulfillment. Um, a Chinese proverb says that every journey of a thousand miles becomes, comes with the first step. So take the first step of faith. Take the first step of obedience. That is the idea here. Salvation is the first step. After that, a believer needs to practice obedience daily, living out and following Jesus. Sinful habits and lifestyles should be rejected. 
I'm going over stuff that we already know. But it's good to be reminded, isn't it? A love for Christ and for others should constantly be growing within us. A love for Christ and a love for others. That's how I evaluate myself most of the time. Am I loving Christ? Am I obedient? Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? No matter how much some of them get on my nerves sometimes. Do I still love? <laughs> okay. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 tells us that we should walk in a manner worthy of the calling which, which, with which you have been called. We see this fits with the context because Paul says in the first part of verse 12 that the Philippians have obeyed in his presence. Now, while he is gone, they need to continue to work out their salvation through diligent obedience to what they have been taught. And Paul stresses the same idea in verse 16 when he says to hold fast to the word and to run. A believer works out his salvation through obedience. You're going to hear me say that a lot today. A believer works out his salvation through obedience and also through perseverance. Obey. Persevere. Don't give up the fight. We are to persevere to the very end. The Christian life is filled with already but not yet. This is what I mean by that. We are already forgiven but are not yet perfect. We are already friends with Jesus but do not yet see him face to face. We are already a new creature but are not yet completely rid of the world and this sinful nature. We already have eternal life, but are not yet with God and heaven. We have these things, but there's a yet coming. Okay? Therefore, we, you, must persevere. You must press on. Paul talks about this even more in the next chapter, in chapter 3, uh, verse 12 through 14, which is one of the most motivational verses that, in my life. Not that I have already obtained this, verse 12, but he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't attained. I'm not perfect. I mess up. I argue. I bicker. But you know what? I press on. Okay, forgetting those things that are behind, I press on towards the mark of the calling in Christ Jesus. And we do so with fear and trembling. Okay? At least I do. This shows us the attitude with which we are to be in pursuit of sanctification. Pursuing your sanctification requires fear and trembling. I'll tell you what I mean by that. Why should we have this attitude? Because God tells us in Isaiah 66, verse 2, To this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who who trembles at my word. Let me repeat that. To this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. That's the fear I'm talking about. Trembling at God's word, taking it deadly serious. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord, we know this one, is the beginning of wisdom. If that was all it said, I'd be good to go. 
the fear of the Lord, and I'm going for that. Fear of the Lord, beginning of wisdom. The fear and trembling doesn't mean that we hide in the corner shaking with dread in a state of depression when we sin or whatever, you know. It's a healthy, reverent fear for God Almighty who sits on his throne. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the judge and he was, and we will, mind you, regardless of your state in here today, we will stand before him. And I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I want to hear that. But, to, but be very clear, this work that we're talking about, it doesn't save you. I'm going to say it again. This working out of your salvation, it doesn't save you. Okay? That is made very clear in the next verse where it says, God, God works in you. Not Sesky works out Sesky stuff. God works in you. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Salvation is not a 50-50 transaction. 50% God, 50% me. Salvation is not a 90-10 transaction, 90% God, 10% me. No, salvation is absolutely, positively, 100% God. You have nothing to do with it, in a manner of speaking. But you'll see that you do have a little something to do with it. Salvation is through God's grace. He started the work in us. He learned this. We learned this in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it into completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Salvation, again, is God's work. He saved us. He took the initiative. And he continues to work in us after salvation through the process of sanctification. These two verses side by side show us very clearly two truths that are often held in tension throughout the Bible. One, God is sovereign. I know most of you here have heard me come up here and I, and I pound this drum. I have to remind myself, God is sovereign, okay? And I've told you in the past, God is not in the business of improvising, okay? God does not improvise. He is the God who orchestrates. Remember that. Two, this is, we're responsible, okay? So God is sovereign, but we people are responsible. How are we responsible? We are responsible to respond to what God has done on our behalf by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, repenting and persevering in obedience. That's our part. That's what we're responsible for. That's how the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us. Okay, and we do have the option of not doing these things. We have a will, but this is what we're responsible for. Theologians and the Bible scholars have debated for centuries how these two truths work together. We may never solve it this side of heaven. I'm telling you, there's a lot of things that I've wrecked my brain, and it hurts sometimes. But I know that I know I will never solve it this side of heaven, only when I see him face to face. So I give up every now and then. Why does all this matter? Because the gospel is at stake. That's why it matters. No matter how you're feeling this morning, no matter how your week is gone, 
okay? No matter what you did or did not do, don't forget, you are representing someone. The gospel is at stake here. Don't ever forget that. The gospel is at stake. If you say that you are a Christian and yet you do not obey Christ, then you deny by your own life that the gospel has the power to save. Do you get that? If you say you're a Christian, but you live like the world, then you know what? You're denying that the gospel has the power that we're claiming it has. Okay? That's our first instruction this morning. Work out your salvation. Personal obedience is an essential part of our witness. Okay? Two, press on in shining the light. Keep your beacon lit. Verse 15 tells us that we should shine as lights in the world. Paul described the world as a crooked and twisted generation. The darker the world is, the brighter the light will shine. If the world at Paul's time was a crooked and twisted generation, then how much more right now in the present? Almost every time I read or watch, and you know what I'm talking about, the news, I'm reminded about just how dark this world can be. But I don't stay there. Please don't stay there. Move over to the light. Look at the light. Move over to the light. Okay? You know, we, we hear about the wars. We hear about the crime. We hear about uh, abortion, homosexuality, the violence, the hatred, the bigotry. We hear about all of it. Okay? And it can affect us. It can pull us away from our first love. But don't. Don't let that happen. Okay? This is the backdrop of 2022. The light of Christ can shine brightly through us to a lost world. And verse 14 through 15 gives several ways to do this. Shine as lights, verse 15. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. The Philippians lived in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And like I said, so do we. Our mission from the Lord is to shine as lights. Jesus told his disciples that he is the light of the world. And another time he told them, you are the light of the world. He transferred that to us. We are light of the world. God calls us to be Christians, followers of Christ. That's what Christian is. It is the follower of Christ. It's just not, a, not just a fancy title. Hey, I'm Christian. No, I'm a follower of Christ as well. The Philippians lived, let me make sure I got that right. The Philippians live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, and so do we already said that. Our mission from the Lord is to shine as lights. Jesus told his disciples, done that already. God calls us to be Christians, okay? Followers of Christ, like I said. Those who follow Christ live in stark contrast to the world, okay? If the world can't tell that you're different, if the world can't tell, if my co-workers can't tell, if the lady, old lady at the shop right that just ran over my toe with the cart can't tell that I'm a Christian, then I need to do some adjusting, okay? When we uncompromisingly follow his standards, we shine like lights in this lost world. Our actions show people a better way the Creator's way. The Word of God is a lamp to our feet 
and a light to our path, leading people in the right way. In a similar way, your actions can, be, can lead people to God. Back up your witness with your life. Your witness is your life. That's your primary witness. It's not always what you say. I want to see you living it. So how do we bear witness? How about do all things without grumbling or disputing? There it is. I'm going to step on some toes. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Okay. Our words are important. What comes out of our mouths, the word is alive. It's important. It affects people. Okay. It shows people who we are. So our words are important. Our words are often the first thing people notice about us. Is your life characterized by a joyful response to difficulties, to annoyances that set you off, okay? To the kid that just won't listen to you when you say do this or do that. Hmm. To your wife or husband that just failed to do the simple thing that you asked him or her to do. And now you're frustrated, you're, you know, you're upset, okay? And the disputing and the grumbling starts. You know, you have had the kid that you tell him to do something, and all you hear is, you know, my son used to be that kid. So I know exactly what it is. Those, in similar ways, your actions can lead people to God. And, um, okay, do all things without grumbling or disputing. The word grumble in Greek actually sounds like what it means. Basically, it's an unpleasant mutter sound that we make when we are complaining. And I just showed you an example. We do it as adults too. All of us do this sometimes. So no complaining or arguing. You mean never? No complaining or arguing. Every now and then, when I'm justified, no complaining or arguing. I mean, I'm not telling you this. God is telling you this. You know, so don't get mad at me. No, I mean, I, I was having a fun time with this one because I know just recently I was complaining and arguing, you know. They, out of the blue, canceled my, my uh, surgery for a second opinion. Had, had done everything. I've prepared. I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready. And I get a phone call. Hey, you need a second opinion. I'm not going to lie to you. I was mad. I was upset. I was bothered. Thank God for my wife. You know, hey, it's God's will. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm ready. You know, it's God's will. It really, really is. I can't see it, but it is God's will. And so I had to settle down. It took me every bit of two days. Okay? No, I'm just kidding. Just a couple hours. <laughs> um, so no complaining. So Paul starts with a doozy here. No complaining or arguing. Look at verse 14. Do everything without complaining or arguing. I said that already, didn't I? Okay. Again, not do some things without complaining or arguing. Every now and then you can complain and argue. No, don't complain and argue. Okay. Don't do it. Do everything without This was the problem for Israel in the wilderness, if you remember. God worked amazing miracles for them in Egypt. Okay, he delivered them from Pharaoh. I know we know this story, but just listen. He parted the Red Sea. 
It's not just a story. These things are happening. He provided food for them in the wilderness. And what did they do? They grumbled, grumbled. They complained. They whined. Am I hitting some nerves? I know. I, I'm talking to myself every now and then. How about us today? God sent his son Jesus to die for you. That's not just a blib. God sent his son. God sent his son Jesus to die for me and for you. Okay? He forgave us all our sins. Past, present, future, all forgiven. Okay? He gives you the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live within us and to guide us. He gives us new purpose and direction in life. Think about your old life. Okay? That's all you got to do is think about your old life. He gives you new purpose, new direction, a new heart. He hears all our prayers and answers according to his wisdom, his power, and his love. And what do we do with, and what do we do so much as of the time? We grumble. We grumble because, I'm going to be honest with you, because we don't trust. We don't trust God. We don't think about it like that, but when we're grumbling, when we're complaining, okay, we are saying something. God, I reject what you're doing right now, okay? This is not for me. This is not what I prayed for. So, starts the arguing and the grumbling. And we sound like we're talking to ourselves, but you know who you're talking to. Yeah, God, I'm not feeling this. I'm really not. Let's not do that. It's sin. It really, really is. And it needs to hit us as sin when we complain and argue about what God has orchestrated. God has orchestrated this. Do you really want to back up your witness with your life? Then do everything without complaining or arguing. Otherwise, like I said, we're sinning. Trust me. People will notice, especially those who are close to you. They'll notice when you stop arguing and complaining. They'll look at you like you're weird. It's like, huh, I didn't hear that complaint. I was, I was waiting for it. What happened? But people will notice when that change happens. With children of God, as children of God, we must. Like I said, this is a sinful message, but it is something that we need to hear. As children of God. Imagine you as a father, a mother, what you want from your kids the most, what you want as a husband and wife the most is trust. You want your kids to trust you because that's the only way they sometimes can obey you is if they trust you. We want our husband and our wives to trust us so we obey God for my wife, that's it. That's all that counts. If I'm, if I'm out of step with God, she's not feeling me. She really, really isn't. You know, I'm, I'm like persona non grata. If I'm making decisions without God, without addressing God, if she doesn't see me in my word 
daily, if she doesn't see me communing with God, then she knows that what I'm getting ready to do with her, that communion, is not perfected yet. We must, we must do this as children of God. It means that you are not a child of the world. If you are a child of God, you're not a child of the world. You don't get swayed by the trade winds of the times. You don't go here and there. You pursue truth, and truth is direct. It is straight. It is purposeful. It is impactful. That's what you pursue. It's the real. I used to tell my son all the time, truth is the real. Everything else is not real. It will fade. I'm going off on a tangent. So Jesus said in Matthew 5:48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like father, like son. God calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. You cannot shine as a light if you are acting the same as everyone around you who is unsafe. You are not shining as light if you are being the same as everyone around you who is unsafe. I hope I'm not hurting y'all too much this morning. Anybody say, ow? No? Okay. Um, Stand out from the world. Look at verse 15. So that you may be blameless and pure and innocent, children of God, without fault, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, among whom you shine as light, like stars in the universe. And again, I can't help but see that picture in my head. I remember that all the time. That picture of just laying there and it looked like a blanket was shining and falling on me. As Christians, we are to stand out from the world. God calls you to be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, without fault. How do you do this? The idea here is not that you will be perfect or sinless. Uh-uh. It's not happening. But that you live your life in such a way that no one can criticize you or question your status as a child of God. That you're living your life in such a way, not perfect, but no one can say, man, you are a heathen. Did you say you were Christian? No, let's change that. You are a heathen. Nobody will be able to say that because you are walking in the light. We are children of God, but too often we act like children of the culture. We do. I know I do. We blend in. We allow the world around us to conform us to its image rather than let God work within us to conform us into the image of Christ. We let the world settle in and transform us. We do. You don't, have to, you don't have to agree with me. I know you do. Okay? We allow the world to do that. Okay? But we must. We must let our light shine. Consider this question. Rhetorical. Okay? It's just rhetorical. You don't have to answer me. I don't think you would anyway. If a neutral observer had unrestricted access to watch you live your life 24-7, would they conclude that you are much different from an unbeliever? Would they know you are a follower of Christ only through observing your actions? I answered this question. I'm not going to tell you what I, the answer I came up with, but I answered this question. 
So, what do we do next? We rejoice. We rejoice in the sacrifice. And finally, you need to rejoice in the sacrifice. Look at verse 17 through 18. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering, Upon the sacrificial offering and of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Pour yourself out to service to others. We pastors, we preach this on a regular basis. Our calling is to pour out what God has so graciously and abundantly, I might add, given us through Christ Jesus. We have to share this with others. If you're not a talker, live it. Live your life so that somebody comes up to you and says, what in the world is up with you? I would be losing my mind right now. But you're not losing your mind. And that draws attention. And then that person that God sets in your path will come and say, hey, how how are you able to handle this? Boom open door to the gospel. It's happened to me. Not less than I, that I would want, but it's happened. Pour yourself out in service to others. Paul told the Philippians in verse 5 that they should have the same attitude as Jesus. Here in verse 17, he shows them that he has the same, that he has the same attitude as Jesus. Jesus emptied himself in obedience to the Father. Paul pours himself out in service to the Philippians. Mutual sacrifice and mutual joy is what it brings. It is also a life of mutual sacrifice and mutual joy. Look at the end of verse 17 into verse 18. I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Brothers and sisters, it should be your joy. It should be our joy to pour out ourselves in sacrificial service to one another, to those around us who are hurting. It should be a joy, okay? But our lives are so full, aren't they? Our lives are full. And dare I say, not often enough, I was going to say rarely, but not often enough do we seek out this specific kind of joy of helping others. It brings joy. For those of you who do it on a regular basis, I know you know the feeling I'm talking about. And it's a joy. It's the satisfaction that God gives. It's not a joy or satisfaction that oh, makes me feel good. This is God. I've done this for the glory of God. And this person knows that. Okay? Um, so we've been talking about being partners in the gospel. We now see that partnership in the gospel is expressed in many ways. We share salvation together as we believe the gospel. We share in evangelism together as we spread the gospel. We share in Christian growth together as we obey the gospel together and individually. But seeing each other and watching each other's lives, how God is working in all of our lives, in all of our situations, in all of our circumstances. Seeing that, seeing the victories in that is an encouragement, and I'll tell you, for my soul. It is, because when I think of some 
in this room and some outside this room, I have nothing to complain about. No matter what kind of pain I have, somebody is always worse off than me. I remember that all the time. So we share in Christian growth together and we obey the gospel. We share in sacrifice together for the gospel and we share in joy together on account of the gospel. Don't forget the joy. There's joy. There is joy. I know sometimes we, we get drawn by what's going on out there, but come back. God provides joy in the midst of it all, okay? Hold on to the word of life. As we just read, the world is evil. It was evil in the time of Paul, and it's evil now. All around us, people are preaching relative truth, okay? We spoke about that. They argue that what is right and true for one person is not right and true for another. We know that's a lie. Standards constantly shift, again, with the times. Views of basic concepts like gender and marriage have drastically shifted in the last 10 years. Okay? Things are changing because it's outside of truth. What is going, on, what is going to anchor you? What's going to anchor me? If culture standards change minute by minute, then how does a person know anymore what is wrong and what is right? Many people simply follow the media's news or the flavor of the day. That's how some people live, sadly. But Paul gives the solution. We must hold fast, hold fast, hold fast to the word of life. We must hold fast to the word of life. Even when you're not feeling the impact, don't give up. God is faithful. He will use this word, which is alive and active, to bring about obedience. That's a promise. So we hold on to God's word by hearing what you're doing right now. We find that in Romans 10, 17. By reading, okay, Revelations 1, verses 3. By studying. We see that in Acts 17, 11. And by memorizing, I lost that art. I did it in the beginning, but I got to pick it back up. I lost that art. And by meditating. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked and stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruits in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Wow. I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting ready to conclude. All the smiles. Look at that. Y'all smiling too much. Come on. Personal obedience to Christ is an essential part of our gospel witness. And in these verses, God gives you three motivations to obey Christ. First, God is working in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. God is working in you, even when you don't feel it. If you are a child of God, he promises you that he never leaves or forsakes. He is working in you, okay? Two, the world is watching your life, 
as you share the gospel. That's love for the unsafe. The world is watching. Even when you think they're not watching, they're watching. Three, others have poured themselves out for you in the gospel. That's love for the body of Christ. Others have done it for you in whatever way or fashion, whether it's that person that led you to the Lord, whether it's that person that calls you on a regular basis and encourages you as you're going through a trial, through a tribulation. God has put others in our lives to help us in this walk, this obedient walk. And so why? Why would I hide my light under a bushel? No, I'm going to let my light shine and help somebody else in that walk, okay? Work out your salvation, but back up your witness with your life. Rejoice in the sacrifices you make for others. Shine like stars as you hold out the word of life to a desperate and watching world. When we see these things in the world around us, what should we do? I believe the next, the text today gives us three answers. So, like I said in the beginning, press on in your sanctification. Keep going. It's easy to see problems in others, but what about the problems in ourselves? What about our own prejudices? What about our own disobedience to God? What about our own failures to love our neighbor as ourselves? We have to work out our own salvation, obediently bringing it to completion. Your focus should first be you. Say it again. Your focus should first be you, okay? And any focus, any focus after that stems from what God has done in you first. Second, press on as shining and shining the light. When you are obedient to the Lord, you can then shine the light. The light shines brightest when the world is darkest. The light shines brightest when the world is darkest. The world is a very dark, it's, it's very dark now. It really, really is. Believers, we need to step up. Don't settle in the darkness. Brothers and sisters, if you heard anything that I said this morning, do not settle in the darkness that you might find yourself in right now. Don't settle there, all right? Get out of there. Run to the light. Get out of that darkness. We need to love through word and action. We need to show compassion. We need to show that in Christ, we can be united, whatever our color, whatever our politics, whatever our station in life. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, Brian, you and I are brothers. And you know what? We're going to be living together for eternity, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we are, and we cannot forget that. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to preach the gospel because Christ is the real solution to all of this problem, the me problem and then the you problem, okay, the solution. Thirdly and lastly, Press on in the race. Brothers and sisters, Redeemer, don't give up. Don't give up. How can you give up on, turn your back, I should say, on 
a free gift given by a sovereign God and creator. How do you give up on that? How do you turn your back on a God that has made so many promises to his children? How can you give up when you think, when you think that things are not going the way you want or the way you ask God for them to go? And I'm speaking, I'm speaking for myself here. If I'm, stepping, if I'm hitting you there, good. But I'm speaking for myself. I'm preaching to myself. Okay, do you want to change the world? We change the world by building God's kingdom, by sharing the gospel, by winning souls. Ultimately, this is the calling of each of us. Whom, think about it, whom can you share the gospel with this week? Whom can you go to? and be a light. Think about it, and most importantly, act on it. This is what we're called to do, okay? We're called to obey, shining as lights in the darkness. We obey Christ, we obey, all right? And then we bring others into the fold, into the family. That's, that's it, that really is. It sounds simple, but I know how hard it is. But that's how we do it, okay? So. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that this walk, this life that you've called us to, I am so grateful that you did not leave me to complete it on my own. Thank you, Father, for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, which leads us and guides us into all truth, Lord. Thank you for those here this morning, Father God, whose heart you have touched. Father, my prayer this morning, my cry to you as you convicted me and redirected me as I prepared for this message, Lord, I pray that you have done the same for someone here this morning, Lord, that you have changed their heart, that you have drawn them back, Lord God, from the darkness that they were in. And Father, that you would continue to feed us with your word and let your light shine through us for your glory and your honor through Christ our Lord. Amen.